need to walk in cleansing and righteousness all the time before God. In fact, our illustration in Daniel, we'll see him praying uh, for cleansing and forgiveness for the people of God. Number two, that God would free the house. I really believe that God wants to liberate us to a whole new level of spiritual freedom in Christ and, 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 and live at a, a level of, uh, of freedom beyond sin, self, and, and, and all those things that seem to bind us. And we need to pray that God would liberate us to a whole new level of, of, of spiritual liberty in Christ. And then number three, focus the house. Everyone say focus. We're going to talk about focus a little more today in just a few moments. But, uh, you know, Jesus prayed for the church and he prayed that we would have focus, that we would be one and that we would uh, be sanctified and we would be protected. But it was all for the purpose of winning the world to Christ. This next month, as I said, we're, we're going to begin to focus on our missions efforts. We're going to reintroduce all our missionaries to you by way of some video, by way of some brochures to help you begin to connect personally to our missionaries around the world. But here's where I really want you to catch that God has placed us all here as missionaries to a world that so desperately needs Christ. You see, you may have, you know, whatever you may do for a living, I do not know uh, all of your your your. Uh, you know, things you do for a living. But one thing I do know as a Christian, we all have a mission. We're all ambassadors for Christ. And God wants us to be focused on that. And so we need to be praying for our church family, that God would help us really focus on his eternal purpose for our life to make a big difference in the world. And then we're praying that God would fill the house, not just numerically, but spiritually. In fact, when you look at the, act, the Acts uh, 1 birthing of the church, when, when the disciples, that embryonic church, were filled with the Holy Spirit, then the house began to fill up. And so we're praying for both of those. We're praying that God would fill us with his Holy Spirit. And let me just say to you, God wants to pour out his Spirit upon your life. And he wants to empower you for service and empower you for ministry. And, and, and uh, he wants to use you dynamically to help fill the house this month as we focus on God's purpose for our life. And then lastly, we're praying, and I encourage you to do this. Let me just ask, how many of you drive by this church pretty regular going and coming? I would encourage you every time you drive by, uh, at, at the very least, uh, and, and hopefully every day you pray this, that you would pray, God supernaturally supply the resources that, that this church needs, not just to accomplish the day-to-day -day task, but to do greater things for him. In fact, I'm believing for not just enough or barely enough. I'm believing for more than enough. In fact, I'm praying that God would pay off this facility so we can focus more clearly on God's mission before us. And I ask you to do that as well. Just when you go by, just say, God, we're believing you for the miracle of debt cancellation. And everybody said amen. So we're asking God to fill the house and to finance the house. And so I encourage you to pray those prayers with me and continue focusing your attention uh, 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 in the heavens. You know, Jesus prayed for the church. We might, you know, most of us, well, we pray for our family. We pray for the world. We pray for the lost. But you know what? Jesus said, I'm not praying for the world. I'm praying for the church. Because if the church, basically, here's the connotation, if the church begins to step into her real role, the world will be taken care of. And so it's important to pray for your church family. In fact, I love this. Did you know Jesus is still praying for us? 
Hebrews says he ever lives to make intercession for us. And so right now he's praying for you. He's praying for Church on the Rock North. And you know what? I believe God loves us. And let me just say this to you. I believe, you know, we pray over things that are important to us. And, and I said this last Sunday. I want to reaffirm it. You know, the enemy, for some reason or another, we've uh, allowed this into our culture, has devalued the local church in the minds of people devalued it to the point where it's maybe so, maybe not, or maybe not at all. There's a lot of people who call themselves Christian and who would confess Christ as Lord, but they have no value for the local church. I want to tell you something. God values his church. It's his bride. And so I want to encourage you to value your church family enough that you would begin to pray for her day in and day out. And everybody said amen. Now, as we look to Daniel today, I want to use Daniel uh, as a focus on on a topic that I believe is so important. I'll call it long-haul praying, praying over the long haul. You see, we we tend to not pray over the long haul. Let me explain it to you. You know, and, and here's some different ways we pray. Number one, we pray over our present day. How many of you pray, oh, God, help me today. Lord, I need you right Now, I need you, and there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, Jesus taught us in Matthew 6, he said, pray this way, give us this day our daily bread. There's nothing wrong with praying over today. In fact, I encourage you to pray over today. In fact, this morning, Beverly and I prayed over today, over our church family, over you, over the ministry, over our worship team, over our children's church. We prayed that God would bless you and draw you and help you and heal you. That's good. Pray over our present day. You know, but you know, sadly, that's where a lot of people just kind of stop. But I want to encourage you to think about something today that we can move from that to another level and pray over our future day. How many of you know we should pray over our future because God has a plan for our life? You know, it's not just about the here and now. It's about, uh, you say, well, you know, I thought we're just supposed to focus on today. But, hey, God has a plan for our life. And he wants us to pray into the future and pray God's blessing on not just our lives but on the church and just believe God for our greater day. Turn around and tell somebody, tell them this, that our greater days are yet before us. And I want to encourage you to to begin to have a vision about not only your greater day, but our church's greater day, and begin to pray over our future day. But, hey, let's take it a a little step further. Let's talk about, uh, as Daniel, we'll find, was this kind of prayer. He prayed over his future's future day. He prayed prayers that he knew would not be answered in his lifetime. Could I say that again? He prayed the prayers, kind of prayers, that he knew prophetically would not be answered in his lifetime. He prayed over his future's greater day. In fact, as you look to Daniel, in fact, if you're in Daniel, I'll show you a verse in just a moment. He prayed over Jerusalem all the days of his life. Now, let me give you the history of Daniel. Let me just kind of fill in a few blanks. Uh, In fact, if you were here Wednesday night, we talked about Nehemiah. And if you remember Nehemiah, God moved on Nehemiah, uh, who was the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes, I think from Persia. And so God moved on the cupbearer to the king, put, put a burden in his heart for Jerusalem. And he went by the the directive of God and the favor of God. In fact, if you miss Wednesday night, 
I encourage you to go back and get it on iTunes, look on our website, and, and, and because we looked at the prayer of Nehemiah and how God, his prayer over Jerusalem moved him to a place where there was a miraculous restoration of the walls of Jericho. He had a burden for Jericho, and we learned Wednesday night that Jericho is a real picture of the church. Uh, pardon me, not Jericho. I said, I meant Jerusalem. Somebody say Jerusalem. He, he prayed over Jerusalem, and God put a burden in his heart, and God used Nehemiah to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is a real picture of the church. Now, back up 70-plus years, and you find Daniel. Daniel, as a little 14 to 16-year-old boy, and you read Daniel 1, you'll find that uh, he was uh, taken into Babylonian captivity because the children of Israel were under Babylonian captivity. In fact, Daniel chapter 1 says this, that the king issued an order, and he said, verse 4, find some young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing all knowledge and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the language and the literature of the Chaldeans. Now, and, and that's where Daniel comes into play. And so he was a, basically a slave boy and from, from uh, one of the Israelites. And so there he was. And they began to try to teach them the language and the ways of the Chaldeans, which were not the ways of God. And we find that Daniel resisted that. In fact, we see in verse 8, it says, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portions of the king's delicacies. Now look down in verse 21 and just catch this. It says, thus Daniel continued until the first day of King Cyrus. Now, so Daniel, all his life, he lived to, uh, most uh, uh, Bible scholars believe, somewhere around 85. So he comes into Babylonian captivity at the age of 14 to 16 somewhere. He's immediately ushered into the king's court, and they begin to train him. In fact, they changed his name to Belteshazzar, which I don't remember the name, but it's not an honoring name of God, uh, Jehovah God. And, and when you read through Daniel, you'll find that when he's writing Daniel, he'll say... Uh, he, uh, he'll say, and Daniel, whose name was called Belteshazzar. In other words, he did not let the influence of the culture he was in undermine his walk with God. And as we'll see, the prayer life that he prayed. And so all through his life, he prayed. In fact, as we'll see in a moment, his prayer life got him into trouble. But that trouble became his greatest day. And God supernaturally, uh, because Daniel was a visionary, he saw things and he dreamed. Uh, he had interpretations of dreams and he interpreted the king's dreams. And as a result, he was promoted throughout his life. And he became second in command in Babylon as a slave. How many of you know that's the favor of God? Let me try that again. And he was promoted second in command in Babylon, even as a slave. How many of you know that's the favor of God? Amazing story. And so that's, in a nutshell, the life of Daniel. In fact, from Daniel's life, we get some of the most detailed prophetic insight into the end of the age that you and I, he saw way beyond his lifetime and potentially beyond our lifetime should the Lord tarry. And I believe it's because he was a long-haul prayer. How many of you want to be a long-haul prayer? Now, 
Turn to Daniel chapter 6, and I'll show you this verse. This prayer comes on the heels of uh, a plot against Daniel because he, he, he had received a promotion, and he was one of three governors over the land. And these other two governors, who undoubtedly probably weren't Daniel fans or, or Israelites, they put a, together a plot because they were jealous that Daniel would be thrown into the what? And, they, and in fact, they said, we can find no fault in this guy, Daniel 6. They could find no charge, verse 4, or fault because he was faithful. Someone say faithful. Nor was there any error or fault found in him. His adversaries, his critics could find no fault in him. So they had to create a law behind his back that whoever uh, did not bow before uh, the king or bow before the king's God for 30 days would be thrown into the lion's den. They appealed uh, to King's, uh, I believe it's King Darius's heart of pride. And so he said, that sounds like a great idea. They kind of tricked him. And as a result, Daniel... Uh, it comes to the place in verse 10 of chapter 6 where he says this. And when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, that is the law that says anyone that bows or prays to any other god than the god of the king, uh, King Darius, uh, would be thrown into the lion's den. When Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home and in his upper room with his windows open toward where? Jerusalem, remember that. Go back. Let me. Hey, uh, fast forward. Where, what did Nehemiah have a burden for? Jerusalem, which is a picture of the church. And so here we see Daniel. In fact, let me pause in the middle of this verse. Nehemiah was an answer to Daniel's prayer. Here we go. He says he opened his windows toward Jerusalem. He knelt down on his knees three times that day and he prayed and gave thanks before his God as was his custom since early days. In other words, Daniel, all his life long, had a custom and that was a lifestyle of prayer. He was a long-haul prayer warrior. He not only prayed for his present day, how many of you know when, when he knew he was probably going to lose his life unless he could uh, interpret a dream? How many of you know that's a present-day moment prayer? He got before God. You can read it. And he said, Lord, I need revelation now, today. It was a present-day prayer. Nothing wrong with that. But he also prayed beyond his lifetime. And let me say this. Catch this. Your prayers have no shelf life. Your prayers do not have an expiration date. And I believe it's, in fact, did you know that the Bible says in heaven there is some form of a container in heaven where God uh, 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 puts in the praises and I believe the prayers of his people into an actual container. They are physical substance and they have no shelf life. And I believe Daniel's prayers have, have hit the spiritual atmosphere and are impacting the generations even to this day because his, his prayer and his influence and his vision went way beyond his years. And I believe that's what God wants to do in us. He wants to develop within us as he did within Daniel, as was his custom since early days. He had the habit of a consistent prayer life. Now, let me say to you, the quicker you get started on this, the better. 
You say, but pastor, I, I, you know, I, hey, well, let me ask you this. Do you want to impact not only your today, but your tomorrow and then your children's tomorrow? And your children's children's tomorrow. You know, I, I, I went by the nursery. Uh, well, first thing, uh, uh, Ty came up to my office and gave me a big kiss and a hug this morning, my first grandson. I walked by the nursery and gave Josiah a kiss. And I can't wait for uh, number three, whether it be a boy or a girl. Uh, come, I love that little grandbaby. But understand something. My prayers, Beverly and I, we prayed for our children and our grandchildren this morning. We agreed together. But we know that, hey, uh, our prayers can even outlive our lifetime and the prayers we pray over them and over their children and their children's children and understand something we have the capacity to impact future generations today your present day prayers can impact you and your family in this church for eternity now we need to think about that because that's what I'm talking about and that will move you to the place hey and let me just tell you I'll say it again 100% of the prayers you don't pray I guarantee you they will not be answered and so we have the capacity we have been invested with one of the greatest tools known to man called prayer to be able to impact our children and our children's children, and our church family for, uh, for generations to come until Jesus comes. And everybody said amen. So Daniel was a long-haul prayer. Let me tell you about him. It's long-haul praying. It's, it's, it's not for the weak at heart. Let me just say, Daniel's prayer life was not conditional. He didn't pray based on the conditions and the circumstances of his life. Most people can pray in a pinch. But in the good times and the bad times. And you say, well, I thought he was in Babylonian captivity. Man, he was second in command. He had his own house. And I'm sure it wasn't a shack down the street on the other side of the tracks. This man had worked his way by the favor of God to be second in command. The blessings were upon him. The blessings of the Babylonian kingdom were upon him. And in the middle of it, uh, he didn't, he still maintained the custom of praying in his life. And it was not based upon the conditions of his life. Most people pray in a pinch. How many of you know when Daniel went into the lion's den because he did not bow and he went into the lion's den. How many of you know, uh, probably some of the biggest reason for the lion's mouth being shut was not that moment's prayers, but a lifestyle of prayer. Are you with me? And it was not conditional. It was not based upon the circumstances of his life. And, oh, I see some people, man, when things get bad, all of a sudden they're ready to seek the Lord. And I'm telling you, that's great. But David said this, in my trouble, I cried out to the Lord. That's okay, but how many of you know the, the, the lifestyle of prayer? His prayer was not conditional. It was, in fact, habitual. We think of habits, and most of us think of what? Bad habits. But I want to tell you something. The long-haul prayer develops a habit in his life of praying through the good times and the bad times. It's not based on the condition. It's a habit of life as was his custom since early days. Listen, teenagers. Listen, young people. Careful. Let me, catch you. Let me get you on this. If you'll get this early, it will impact you uh, 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 in, in a way that you and I can just not dream, and you can impact future generations when you develop a habit and a lifestyle of being a long-haul prayer. 
it was habitual. Let me give you three words that kind of define the habit of Daniel's prayer life. Number one, there was consistency. He was consistent. Now, consistency means being constant, adhering to established principles or a course of action. Early in his life, and we know nothing of his parents, but I can just see mama and pop uh, just somehow instilling within Daniel these principles in life. He caught it early because by the time he arrived in Babylonian captivity, he had some consistency of life. In fact, he showed up as an impressionable teenager. Who God help the teenagers? I'm telling you, this teenager, when they said, hey, we're going to teach you the ways of the Chaldeans. We're going to really indoctrinate you. We're going to let you become really a part of of our culture here in Babylon, which of course was not the culture of God in his life. And he refused that culture. In fact, Daniel 121, I read it a moment ago, it's a synopsis of his life of consistency because it, it, it takes him all the way up to the end of his life. And it says, thus Daniel continued all the way up to King Cyrus. He served, I think, under five kings. Thus, Daniel continued. In other words, that was the testimony of his life. It was a lifestyle of consistency, especially at the place of prayer. Consistency is a big deal with God. Adhering to a set of principles and, and, and getting set in your ways. In fact, the Bible says, uh, even when he first got there, when they were trying to feed him all the wrong foods, it wasn't just his diet. It was his religious order and the way of living in his life. It, it says he purposed in his heart, verse 8, that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies or the wine. He purposed in his heart. Why? Because he knew that he had to stay consistent even in the face of of these unusual circumstances. It's amazing how so many people flex with the times. A long-haul prayer, it's not based on the conditions of his life. He's habitual, and he, what Daniel was consistent in his prayer life. There was not only a consistency, but number two, a persistency. Now, that's a little different than consistency. Persistency, being persistent, is endurance through adversity and, and discouragement. How many of you know... Uh, there's, there's going to be issues in life that are going to be troublesome. How many of you know the lion's den would be a, little, a, a pretty good level of adversity in life? And what he thought potentially was his worst day became his finest moment when God lifted him to a whole new level of influence. In fact, those who came against him, guess what they got? They got the lion's den. You see, sometimes the adversities of our life are exactly what God uses to get us where he wants us to be. And Daniel's prayer life was consistent. He established, established a lifestyle of prayer and a lifestyle of, uh, of praying uh, day, morning, noon, and night. And he was persistent in it even in the face of adversity. Not only was he consistent and persistent, but he prayed with a great deal of clarity. There was a consistency and a persistency, but then there was clarity. He knew what he was praying for. What, was he, what did he do? He opened the windows toward Jerusalem. That was the focus of his life. 
And for us today, if we follow the illustration over the past few Sundays, it's the church family, it's, your, it's the church of God, and, and, and Jerusalem represented the future of God's plan in the earth. And every day, three times a day, he opened, even when he knew he would not see it with his eyes, because he knew there was 70 years of captivity and he was already 16 when it began, and he knew that it would, he would, it would probably never see what he was praying for every day. But he had clarity of purpose. God, restore Jerusalem. God, bring back that captivity. As the psalmist said, as the streams of the south. And he prayed every day with intensity. You know, most of us, what we are, we're 1159 prayers. Most of us would have waited until, okay, uh, this is year 69. We've 69 years of captivity. We've got a few months left. Maybe I should start praying for Jerusalem. He prayed all of his life the vision of God to be realized. His prayer outlasted his life. And that's what I want us to see today. The power of our prayers that have no shelf life, that have no expiration date. We think we're just for the here and now. My friend, God placed you here to impact future generations at the place of prayer. It's a visionary. And how many of you know he evidently had a great vision for the restoration of Jerusalem? And as he's praying and coming probably to the close of his life, there's a little cupbearer that gets a burden to rebuild the wall. You see, there are people in the path of our prayers God will use even beyond our lifetime. Nehemiah never knew whose prayers put him in the middle of his miracle. We have great influence at the place of prayer. So we find that this habit of prayer that Daniel had, it, and, and how many of you know his adversaries, they knew his prayer life. That's how they thought they were going to get him. He was consistent. He was persistent. He had great vision. Most people give up after a few days. Well, maybe it wasn't God's will. He had great clarity. He knew under prophetic anointing that God was going to supernaturally bring back Jerusalem. And you know what I think? Because Jerusalem is just a type of the church. He was praying for us. When he opened his windows toward Jerusalem, whether he knew it or not, he was praying for you and me. How many of you got that? Amen. How could he do such a thing? How could he 
in the middle of, of, of being a slave and then finding the favor of God on his life and the supernatural provision of God, how could he keep that up? How could he keep this, this mindset of prayer? Let me give you four thoughts about his life that I think all conspired together to get, build within him the lifestyle of, of, of a prayer warrior beyond whatever his parents placed in his life. Someone somewhere made an investment in his life and then he began to uh, pour into that investment and he maintained some very important characteristics in his life that put him at this place of consistency and persistency and clarity at the place of prayer. Number one, he maintained a hope-filled heart. What is hope? What is hope? Well, I've always told you, hope is confident expectation of good for your future. You see, Daniel saw beyond the 70 years of Babylonian captivity. He saw the restoration of of God in his life, and he knew the promises of God. In fact, chapter 9, verse 4 says this. He says when he was praying uh, and praying for the people, he said, I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments. You see, he knew God was a covenant-keeping God and that this was a moment in time when God had, had placed the children of Israel Israel in Babylonian captivity because of the hardness of their heart and because of the sin of their life. But he knew their greater day was before him. And he believed that and he lived a life. He had a hope-filled heart over his future and over the future of his people. A confident expectation of good for the future. My friend, that'll build a prayer life within you as you realize God, you have a hope and a belief and a faith in your heart of what God wants to do and desires to do and will do and you have a joyous opportunity to participate. Daniel had a hope in his heart about a greater day. Some people look at their circumstances. How many of you know Daniel, when he was facing the lion's den, he could have thrown thrown in the towel right there. Well, I guess it's over, bless God. I guess God's not gonna take care of me. No, he had a confident expectation of good, for the future, and he had a positive outlook of, on life. Even at his greatest moment of adversity, he kept his trust because he knew God was a promise-keeping God. Amen. He maintained this persistent, consistent, and, and visionary prayer life because he lived a life of hope and confidence in his future and the future of the people of God. Number two, he maintained a humble heart What does it say in that prayer in chapter 6, verse 10? It says, he knelt down before God. His bodily posture reflected the inner condition of his heart. He maintained a a humble heart throughout his life. And he never allowed pride and arrogance to creep in like his king had allowed in his life. He never let the accolades of others and and the amazing, you know, visionary uh, uh, revelation that he had go to his head. He realized it all came from God and he maintained a humble heart before his God. And that built within him a prayer life, a realization that without him, I would be nothing. Without him, where would I be? I'd be a part of the circle of life. You get the picture? He would have been lion's lunch meat without God's provision and protection in his life. 
he maintained a humble heart and he kept his, he bowed before God. But number three, equally and even more so important, he maintained a holy heart. He never let the culture of the unrighteousness of the Chaldeans impact his life. He stayed holy and righteous all through his life. He purposed in his heart that it would not happen. And when you read through Daniel and you see Daniel chapter 1, chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 9, and on and on, we find that he keeps his heart right with God. In fact, he prays the same kind of prayer in Daniel 9 as, as Nehemiah prayed in Nehemiah 1 where he begins to confess the sins of all the people and he throws himself right in there. He says, we have sinned. We have acted corruptly. He knew he had to maintain a holy heart and not allow the influence of the unrighteous culture that we live in. How many of you know we live in an unrighteous culture that is trying to invade and impact our lives and cause us to come to a place where we devalue that which God thinks is precious? And allow the influence of the Chaldeans to undermine the righteousness of God in our life. And then finally, I believe this. He maintained a happy heart. How do you know that, Pastor? Well, it says in chapter 6, verse 10, that when he prayed, what does it say about him? And he gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. The reason I believe he had a happy heart is because when you maintain a lifestyle of gratitude, listen carefully, you're going to be happy. You see, a thankful heart is a happy heart. And the joy of the Lord and the strength of God, what does it say? Is our strength. And so we build a lifestyle Hey, this is not for the weak at heart. This is not for the faint of heart. This is not for the quesara, kind of Christian. This is not for the person who just thinks it's all about them, the sit soaking sour time. This is for someone who says, I believe God placed me here to make a big difference in the world. Not in today, but even in tomorrow. And not in just tomorrow, but my children's tomorrow. At the place of prayer. Praying for the house. And I really believe, and I just wonder what life would be like at Church on the Rock North. Let me me be a little more faith-filled. I'm excited about what life is going to be like at Church on the Rock North when God's people began to open their windows toward their church family and began to pray seek God not just for their selves but for their church not just for the world in fact Jesus I'm not praying for the world I'm praying for my church I'm praying for my pastor I'm praying for the children's ministry Come on. I'm praying for the nursery workers I'm praying for our youth ministry Praying for Ryan. Lord, I'm even praying for the sound guys. Praying for the music team. Reverend, I prayed for you this morning. We prayed added anointing on your life. We're believing that the gifts and the call of God just are embryonic in your life and they're going to 
explode and blossom and prosper. And you'll look at your life and go, Shazam. Wow. You see, there's people that God's called us to pray for. We prayed for you today. That you would catch the vision of prayer in your life. Not just over your life, not just for me, myself, and I. But the Daniel kind of prayer. A long-haul prayer. I heard a story, and I'm going to get some of the facts wrong. It's a great illustration. In fact, I emailed Jonathan Shibley. actually told the story, and I've got some of the details kind of askewed, but I'll give you the gist of it. Back years, years ago, there was, I think he was a monk. I think he was a priest. I, I, he was, I was writing notes when he made this quick, uh, told this story, and I missed some of the key things, but he knew that future generations were going to need wood to build beautiful cathedrals. How many of you know it takes a long time to grow a tree? But he was visionary hundreds of years into the future. And he commissioned the planting of trees. A special kind of tree that would one day, hundreds of years later, come to fruition. And his great grandchildren, great great grandchildren, could harvest the wood and build great cathedrals that are now built all over England and all over many different areas because he was a long haul thinker he thought way beyond his lifetime that's the way our prayers ought to be amen hallelujah I can't make you do it but I can certainly ask you to stir up your prayer life pray for your present day pray for your future and our future Pray for today, every, every Sunday and every Wednesday, pray. Every day, pray. Be a Daniel, a daily prayer, a consistent prayer. Pray for your church family. That God would forgive us and free us and fill us and focus us and finance the vision. And let's see what God might do. Amen. Let's stand together.